Clear air, clean water, strong bridges, safe roads, and life-saving miracles. Engineers are innovating the solutions that will build a stronger American future. But tax changes are stifling the spark of innovation, holding back the dreamers, doers, and builders from the discoveries that will reshape our future. Tell Congress, fix the R&D tax and promote research and development. Because when we fuel the fire of innovation, we light the way to a brighter tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Influence podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies, brought to you by Bentley Systems. My name is Thomas Grogan. I'm Senior Director here at ACEC, and we're very excited today to have Rebecca Rocky, Deputy Chief Economist at Cushman Wakefield, on to talk about the commercial real estate market. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Very excited to talk about this topic. And so why don't uh, you know, I turn it over to you, Rebecca, and you could introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us about your background and what it is you do at Cushman Wakefield. Yeah, there's a lot that I do, so I'll try to be brief uh, with, with the group here. But um, I'm the deputy chief economist. I lead our forecasting team globally. Um, and part of my role is obviously forecasting, thinking about the future for real estate. Um, but I'm out in the field with clients day to day, occupiers, investors, developers. Um, and then I'm helping our internal business also, um, which is an interesting part of my role. So a lot of different things. Every sector is part of my purview. So we're going to dig into commercial today. Um, and, you know, that keeps it interesting. Every day is a little different. Yeah, absolutely. You have uh, wear many hats. And I know today, uh, November 2023, the commercial sector is interesting. Yes. So, you know, along that front, I guess I want to dive into what's happening there. Uh, I'll first start by quoting some stats from our most recent ACEC Research Institute Engineering Sentiment Survey, uh, where our team interviews members of engineering firms to get their sentiment on the current market as well as the future market. And in the most recent release, the commercial real estate sector has the lowest sentiment rating. And when asked about how that sector will perform 12 months from now, it has uh, a negative net rating score. And so, you know, that's how our engineering members are viewing the market. What are you seeing in your data about the commercial real estate market? Yeah. So um, when I break out commercial today, I thought I would focus on three of the main property types that we mm -hmm. do business in, that we track as an industry. And those are going to be office, which is the traditional way that we think about commercial, mm -hmm. um, retail, and in industrial. So I did bring some visuals just, you know, because I'm an economist, got to do that. Um, and what I'm showing here are just the vacancy rates for different key property types historically and moving forward. And, you know, how I would characterize the market is every sector has its own story. And um, outside of office, there's actually a tremendous amount of resilience in the marketplace that I, I don't think gets quite communicated in kind of day-to-day -day media, for example. Mm -hmm. So if I were to kind of start with um, retail, retail is a sector that, you know, has been sort of uh, it's retail apocalypse. It's kind of being so disrupted by e-commerce. We're kind of through that. 
And over the last decade, there's been significant underbuilding actually going on. So we're coming into a time when the economy is slowing with very little on the pipeline side for new projects. And we're actually at a 40-year low for the vacancy rate, which is now under 5.5% for shopping centers, which is what most retail is. Uh, most retail's not you know, a really low-quality mall or something like that. Um, so retail, we still think vacancy is going to hang out in a fairly low level. Um, when we go to industrial, we've got something like a major supply wave coming, which I'll dig into in more detail in a little bit. Um, and that's going to push vacancy up, but there is still a tremendous amount of demand for this project, um, for this product type. And so we actually see vacancy peaking out at a historically tight level and keeping pressure on rents. Um, and then you come to office, which if you go back one slide here is kind of always higher than everybody else. That's the darker blue line. Um, and it's still going up. So office vacancies are still rising. We still think they're gonna go up next year. We're gonna dig into that further in a little bit, I know. Um, and this is really the sector that's the most challenged by this transition to hybrid work. Um, it was happening before the pandemic, but the pandemic accelerated it and is really challenging the market. But that said, I'll, I'll end by saying there's a tremendous amount of nuance in the office market. And we see flight to quality. We see concentration of weakness. And that leaves a kind of middle terrain that is very uh, complicated in terms of how it navigates through the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, very interesting. Sounds like, you know, it's almost like a bimodal or multimodal distribution of certain sectors or verticals performing differently depending on where you're looking at it. What do you see contributing to kind of this change in the market? Uh, is it the higher interest rates? Is it a matter of too much supply, the work from home increase, a little bit of all of it? Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely the case, you know, when you read off the sentiment numbers, if you if you go to my next slide, um, we are as an industry in our own recession. So the economy has been resilient. Um, this is just giving you a sense of sales volumes, but also leasing velocity in the commercial sector um, as a whole. And generally speaking, you know, interest rates have been a tremendous part of the pullback in the capital markets. Um, I would say, you know, there's uncertainty around the economy, but the uncertainty around the Fed and the volatility in the bond markets has really impeded the ability to have conviction in deals and to really establish the right kind of pricing. So I definitely think there's part of that, which is definitely coming back to the Fed and interest rates. Um, in terms of leasing, it's kind of a few things and it really gets nuanced by sector. So you think about something like industrial um, and this went through an incredible boom the last few years and we're seeing some right sizing, right? During the pandemic, we pulled forward demand as e-commerce providers were building out sooner and faster than they otherwise would have had to do. And now the future is here. We pulled forward demand from 2023, 2024. So we're seeing some pullback there. Um, there's some pullback in the good spending economy as consumers go back to services and normalize the kinds of patterns and consumption that they have that's contributing to slower demand. Um, retail demand has actually been quite resilient this year and surprised a little bit to the upside, which maybe surprises all of us, but retail 
has a tremendous diversity in the categories that now occupy it. So it's not just, you know, your kind of department stores that are the most disrupted by things like e-commerce. We now have MedTail, which is its own category of medical retail, right? You have a veterinary and a growing kind of uh, sector around consumerism for pets. Um, you have restaurants and bars, which are just tremendously out, outperforming. And even in today's retail sales report, there was, you know, that was a category that was growing. Then you go into the office sector and we've had record-setting negative demand. Um, part of that was the pandemic period when companies were just trying to figure out how to navigate the pandemic and not making long-term decisions on any matters, let alone office leases. And after we got through a kind of first wave of demand impact, we saw stabilization and then we saw another round of negative demand. And that really manifested from uh, I think, an anticipation among occupiers in the office market of slower economic conditions, being very conservative with capital, and clearly outside of labor, real estate is a pretty significant cost item. So that uh, did start to impact the office market more specifically. Wow, that just mm -hmm. seems like a lot of different factors moving on different trajectories, different paces at the same time. Yeah, I'd love to, you know, hear thoughts and maybe dive in a little bit into these other markets like the retail or the industrial, which, you know, is all part of the yeah. kind of commercial real estate yeah. space. I brought I brought a little detail on everything okay. just to spread the love around. Uh -huh. So I think on my next slide, I was going to dig into retail. And what's fascinating is retail, again, is at a 40 year low on the vacancy rate that's there on the right. Um, and that maybe goes counter to what you might think, because there's a lot of focus on lower quality mall in the media, especially. And I would just say this, um, malls are 1% of retail buildings in the country. So most retail is not mall. And uh, again, there's limited development. The peak of the e-commerce impact disrupting demand we think is well behind us and consumers want to get out and spend. And certain kinds of shopping centers are outperforming, especially open air, especially grocery anchored. Uh, and what's been fascinating on the left, what I, I thought I would show is this is national retail sales broken out by the type of county where retail spending is happening. And it's indexed um, to the end of 2019. So you kind of get a pre-pandemic sense of where growth has been strongest in the recovery in retail sales. And what you see is that counties that are technically urban cores have recovered tremendously, but they've recovered the least. Mm -hmm. And we've actually seen uh, a sort of dispersion, a growing dispersion of retail activity. And that's a bit tied to a more distributed workforce, a more remote workforce, and people who are willing to live further from city centers. If you have to be in the office less, you're willing to commute a little bit longer. And so that's really funneling into the retail market. And it's interestingly also impacting industrial because of course, final mile delivery for consumers your consumers are now a little bit more dispersed. Yeah, very, very interesting. And to your point, urban still looks like it's up almost 30% yeah. since before pandemic, but depending on the reports you read, downtowns or ghost towns and things like that, but yeah. clearly that's not showing through and yeah. the data. I have a few examples of you know some market data, but just to kind of mm -hmm. build off of that, right? So Manhattan is kind of the penultimate High, set of high streets in the country, urban core, peak vacancy really happened by mid-2021. 
And, you know, the market responded very quickly. And now with the return of people to city centers, return to office picking up, we're seeing vacancy rates start to compress significantly, even in these, you know, kind of the very quintessential kind of market of an urban core that you can think of. Um, and now some pockets of Manhattan are reaching record low vacancy rates, such as Soho's approaching at Third Avenue. Um, and so that's it's kind of like that disruption from the pandemic is pretty well in the rearview mirror with with regards to the vacancy impact. Another hot topic is everything that's happening with respect to the industrial sector, manufacturing, the logistics related space. Uh, what are you seeing in that sector? Yeah. Um, so I brought another treat for um, your your audience here. If you go to the next slide. So on, on the industrial front, there's a lot going on. Um, and when we track the industrial sector, it actually includes manufacturing. That's mm -hmm. about 20% of the nearly 17 billion square feet of inventory that we track. About 10% is a specialized product type called uh, high tech or office services. And then 70% is just warehouse and distribution space. So most of the market is there. It's very true that on the manufacturing side, we're seeing a resurgence. It is highly concentrated. So it's not diffuse across many kinds of manufacturing. It's very concentrated in sort of electrical components, batteries, semiconductors. About 90% of the increase in investment has been concentrated in that specific subset. Um, for the broader market, you know, we're coming off of record years of demand. Um, just, you know, I could, could give your audience numbers. I don't know if they mean a whole lot, but normally we see 275, 300 million square feet of demand in a normal year. And during the pandemic, we started to push even the 500 million mark. So very unusual. Vacancy went to 3.2% nationally, which just for context, the lowest we ever got in a boom was about six and a half percent. So we were almost twice as we were effectively twice as tight as we've ever been. And now the big worry is, are we overbuilding? Because we started to build a lot of warehouses and now demand is slowing. So what I'm doing here is breaking out the construction side of the marketplace just to give some context to this notion of overbuilding. And I'll just answer the question without even having it asked, like we're not overbuilding. And, um, you know, so let, let me break it down. We're, we're now down to 538 million square feet underway. It's actually peaked over 700 million square feet uh, last year. So it's coming down. That means construction starts have slowed materially. And out of that, actually, some of that space is what we call built to suit. So it's not really going to present risk to the market. Mm -hmm. It's not going to deliver as vacant. And so that's kind of what I'm showing here. And then as you go to the middle, this is the speculative pipeline, but actually some of that's already leased and accounted for. Um, so out of that 538, we have 390 million that's actually vacant and in the spec pipeline. And so I, what I thought I'd do is just kind of a simple exercise of saying, you know, what if all of that space delivered tomorrow vacant? Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. Um, so it, we know that some of that will get pre-leased and it's definitely not all going to deliver tomorrow. That takes, you know, 12, 18 months and so forth. Um, vacancy would go up to 7% if it all delivered tomorrow and we had no demand. Um, one, we still have demand. It's softening. So, you know, there's that. But two, we would get to a vacancy rate of 7%, which again, historically, we had bottomed out at the height of the 90s boom, at the height of the housing boom. 
at six and a half, seven percent. So this is still actually a very tight marketplace, which is important context because vacancy is essentially the number one predictor of rents. Mm-hmm. And so the question I get asked the most, especially by investors who are still in the space and definitely by occupiers who are trying to handle the higher costs is, will rents go down because vacancy is going up? Well, 7%, which you know is an upper bound, we're not probably going to get there. And that's still pretty tight. So uh, what I what I did on my next slide was kind of break out some of the rent perspective just to show how significant the repricing has been. So this chart here is basically a warehouse distribution rent index. I've broken it out by region. So you can see there is some dispersion uh, across different parts of the country. Uh, primary markets are kind of key industrial hubs near major population centers. Mm-hmm. Think of Inland Empire, LA, Dallas, Chicago, Atlanta, and New Jersey and the Pennsylvania corridor. And basically this index is 100 at 2015. So it's kind of fairly flat, like not a whole lot goes on with industrial rents before suddenly e-commerce starts to pick up. And in 2015, we started to see more material gains and then the pandemic hits and that's the vertical lines. Um, And so it's very much the case that we've seen rents across the country go up by anywhere from essentially 50 to 150%. Um, and this is very difficult to absorb mm-hmm. if you're an occupier in your business model because your real estate costs just went up a whole lot in a short period of time. And what I'm showing on the right is that red line, that national rent grows. Now it's year over year. It's not indexed to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's showing you rent growth is definitely going to slow. Vacancy is going up. Demand is slowing. It's not rents are going to go down, but the the pace of growth will will slow down. The green line is showing you the growth rate in what occupiers should expect their costs to go up at. Mm. And it's different than headline rent growth because the lease terms are long enough that there's a significant amount of leases out there that have not repriced to market. So Mm -hmm. what we're finding is that occupiers are trying to get in the market sooner so that they can really understand the financial implications as their existing leases mark to market let alone as they think about expanding their footprint and growing into new markets as they try to serve their customers. Very interesting. Um, Not to put you on the spot, but do you know how many leases are currently locked into some of these or have an idea of how many leases are locked into a lower, yeah, pre-pandemic or let's say sub 5% uh, interest rate versus the ones that basically have had to come online in the past 12 months? Yeah, so the weighted average lease term is about six and a half to seven years. Okay. So we've had approximately, you know, it's less than 50%, but probably mm. between 30 and 40% that have repriced. Wow. So, but that means a majority haven't. So yeah. this is really um, an area of a lot of focus. And this, okay. on the flip side, as an investor, will continue to pay dividends for your income mm-hmm. return, um, which will help to support investors in this space as they navigate higher interest rates, mm-hmm. which push the cap rate up um, on, on their investment and the potential exit cap rate that they're looking at. So this is an area where we think we're actually the most bullish on the income side and the resilience, therefore, for an investor who has gone in either fully on industrial, let alone if you have a balanced portfolio. Yeah, interesting. So good news there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not all doom and gloom. Not all doom and gloom. 
All right. What else do you have for us? Well, um, this is the one everybody loves to uh -huh. talk about, which is Office. Okay. Uh, so let's let's go to Office, and it's a lot of dots. So we have to kind of talk about the dots and then start to talk about the markets. I think mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, the Office sector, as I mentioned, you know, record-setting negative demand. Um, and this down cycle with the pandemic started at a time when the pipeline was reaching a peak for the cycle. So that's very typical in real estate. We go into a downturn and it's, gosh, we were just at peak construction levels. So office has been dealing with a little bit of both. Um, and what I'm showing you is the current vacancy rate for different markets across the, the country on the vertical axis, and then the change in that vacancy rate since the pandemic. So there actually are some markets where vacancies gone down. That's over here. It's not a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and those markets tend to have a few things in common. One, they're just very small tertiary markets, very little construction risk. In the case of Palm Beach, just a very small office market and mm -hmm. benefiting from some of the kind of greater Miami growth that has happened. Um, so you know, few and far between. Then you start to look at the markets where vacancies gone up the most, and you find San Francisco, you find pockets of New York City. Um, no surprises there, but what I would call out to your mm -hmm. audience is there there maybe are some surprises um, because Salt Lake City is up there, and Phoenix, and Charlotte, and Raleigh, and Nashville, these kind of high-growth Sunbelt markets that have had tremendous recoveries in not only their broader labor market, but their office employment market. And it's not necessarily translating into office real estate quite like you might expect. So this is really where I think the nuance of what's going on with office should be appreciated. Every city has its own story. Mm. And a little bit of this is, you know, for example, like Salt Lake City, Charlotte, Raleigh, Nashville, and even New York, tremendous construction waves mm -hmm. that they're working through. So that pushes vacancy. Um, you have demand-driven stories. That's definitely San Francisco, but I would actually point to Austin, Texas and Phoenix as having below average demand despite being very high growth cities. So it becomes complicated really fast. Mm -hmm. um, and so to kind of distill down just the complexity, I thought like I would give an example of New York City. I know we're in DC, it's my former home base. So I, I thought I would kind of dig into it mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, so if we go to the um, next slide, I think I wanted to just kind of demonstrate there is a trend. There are kind of a few trends in office going mm -hmm. on. One is flight to quality. So if I showed you these charts, whether it was for Manhattan or any other city or the national data, it would look pretty much the same. It would just be the totals would be bigger. And what you see here is that top tier office is actually recording positive demand. So this is saying there's been 6 million square feet of occupancy gains in the office market at the top end. And that's fancy space. Mm -hmm. It's nice space um, that's been either newly constructed or renovated for the most part. And it's really lower quality office that's suffering the most. That's most clear here from the negative absorption, which just means the absorption is the change in the level of occupied inventory. Uh, then what I'm giving you is a sense of the dispersion of vacancy. So Manhattan's vacancy rate is 22%. But if you look at class B and C, it's pretty much nearing 25%. If you look at class A, it's closer to 21. If you look at top tier, you're going under 20, but that includes new construction that's still in lease up. So if you take that out, then you're at the green line and it's, you know, pretty much it hasn't really budged mm -hmm. a lot, not seeing a lot of movement. And that's that 
flight to quality resilience that we see. Um, and this has become uh, in the commercial sector, a trend that is pretty well documented. Then there's kind of the flip side. So if we go to the next slide, um, this is really kind of nerding out with our data. So we track 53,000 office buildings across the country in Manhattan. We track 1,400 south of Central Park. And what this is showing you is just individual building level vacancy rates. So this is actually saying, you know, over a third of all buildings in Manhattan are fully leased. You know, nobody really talks about that. And 75% don't have any sublease space, despite that there's a tremendous sublease issue that the market is dealing with at large. And then there are these kind of small number of buildings. There's 106 in New York. That's about 6% of buildings that have a vacancy rate of over 50%. And I'll come back to those because that's an extreme concentration mm -hmm. of uh, weakness in the market. So it's kind of this bifurcation with now this middle area that's increasingly gray. And this is kind of the next question is what happens to that kind of middle area. And then over here, I'm just giving you a sense of, again, the complexity and nuance. This is saying, you know, there are actually half of buildings that have not seen an increase in their vacancy rate. So 50% of office assets in New York have actually had their vacancy rate decline or not move at all. And that points to, I think, an underappreciated resilience within the sector where some of these really highly vacant buildings are dragging down the market perception. And that is quantified in my last slide, which is giving you a sense of like, let's come back to those vacancy rates that I had a minute ago, where we had BC um, in the light blue at the top and then class A, top tier, top tier without lease up. It's a lot of numbers, I know. But now we're just gonna say Manhattan, all of the properties together minus the 106 buildings. So in that case, now we go from 22% vacant to 15% vacant. And that's just a very different kind of market and illustrates you know, just how difficult it is to paint with a broad brush mm -hmm. on office. And this is really, I think, an opportunity as well as a challenge for those directly in the space, whether it's an investor trying to figure out their portfolio, a lender trying to understand the risks uh, in the loans that they've made. If you're an occupier and you want some good space, the options are not as, uh, I think, numerous as maybe the headline data suggests. Yeah. And so, I mean, this really shows uh, a larger market where uh, a certain concentrated few is pretty full. And then this BC class is a fairly, you know, high amount of vacancy, especially compared to early 2019. Um, a question that will come up and stuff we're hearing about is the feasibility cost benefit analysis of repurposing, turning some of this vacant uh, asset space into something like residential housing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I I wish there was a silver bullet to solving the office problem, um, because especially if there was yeah. one, it would also help to solve things like the housing shortage that we have. Um, unfortunately, it is very costly to do any construction, let alone mm. office construction. Um, and it's very expensive and often simply not feasible to convert an office building because of floor plates, because of code requirements, sometimes because of zoning um, issues. Uh, so yes, it's a growing trend, but it's a very small pocket of the market. 
um, to kind of use Manhattan as an example, we're tracking 21 buildings that have gone into some kind of life event since the pandemic. Um, and out of those 21 buildings, which is about 13 million square feet of office space, about 500,000 are being converted into apartments. Mm. And that means 12 and a half million square mm. feet are actually going through repositioning and renovations to upgrade them and remain as office, but to be more competitive with that top tier, because we know that occupiers really want to have office space that adds value to their workforce, that attracts workers to come back into the office. And we're seeing owners really pour money into being that next tranche of office product. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw it here on our tour of the new ACEC office before we came in. It's, yeah. you know, very nice new space and we're here now working and it's got all the great amenities and nice views and you're going to have to go into an office. It might as well be a top tier office space. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. This was a really insightful conversation. I really appreciate you coming on and want to thank you again for your time and have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thank All you right. for having me.